either here or in and out for a few weeks or till Christmas time, hopefully. Okay, wonderful. Well, we'll squeeze you in. We'll definitely have to have you preach again here one of these Sunday nights or Wednesday nights for sure. And take your Bibles and turn, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 9. I have a lot of Scripture tonight, but we're not going to read a lot of Scripture. Instead, I'm going to reference uh, some Scripture tonight, and we're just going to read three verses tonight for time's sake. And I don't know how this message is going to go. I've already preached this message to myself and this message was birthed two Sundays ago, and I'll explain that in a little bit here in just a moment here. But we'll keep our formality in one sense, in one respect. We'll stand for the reading of the Word of God here in just a second. In fact, you can stand now, if you would, please. Let's read just three verses, and since we only have three verses, Acts chapter 9, let's read them in uh, unison together. I'm referring to verses 25. Really, I'd like to begin in verse 19, but for time's sake, we're going to go right to verse 25, and we'll explain verses 19 to 24, Lord willing. We'll read verse 25 through 27. This is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the great apostle Paul. Many of you know the, the, the scenario. He was breathing out slaughterings and, uh, against the house of God. He'd already been uh, accomplice in the murder of Stephen in chapter 6. Uh, he, Paul murdered and imprisoned Christians, or Saul did, I should say. Now he's, he was blinded on the Damascus Road. I stood on the Damascus Road, one part of it. Did you get to stand on the Damascus Road? Did you go to uh, Caesarea by chance? Did you, did you went to the Herod's uh, temple, or, and did, 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 did you, when you went through the tunnel, the walkway through, did you get a chance to stand on the, the Damascus Road at all, or not really? Yes. And it's wonderful. Just, uh, it's, that road is still, boy, the Romans knew how to build roads, I tell you, tell you what. And the road is still intact to that day. And, you know, the Appian Way, all roads lead to Rome. That's another story, another subject. But Paul's, Paul's uh, converted on the Damascus Road, the road to Damascus. We get to verse 25, and let me get into the, the thoughts tonight. So let's read verses 25, 26, and 27 together. Ready? Begin. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem... He essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the, and declared unto them that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Paul, this is after at least three years of his personal ministry, we believe in Arabia in the previous verses that he went and he, uh, after he was converted in Damascus, Syria, he went uh, to Arabia and there spent time with the Lord. The Bible's silent about that. There's three silent years about Paul other than this illusion that we read about in the previous verses. But uh, he's, the point is he's been several years already a Christian but he comes to Jerusalem, verse 26, and he has said he was worried to join himself with the disciples because they knew who he was. He was Saul the murderer. Maybe the Saul was the CIA agent for the, 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 uh, the Jew haters of the world. And they had, maybe he was a, a spy of sorts. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. And they were all afraid of him, the Bible says. So Barnabas took him. And I want to deal with this subject tonight. And, minister, uh, and I tell our message tonight, ministry is risky business. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father... Now, in the minutes that we have, Lord, I just ask that you might speak to 
the heart of your servants, Lord, in maybe the same way or maybe different ways than you spoke to my heart a couple of weeks ago. And maybe I'd be clear in our thought process here tonight as we deal with this subject of ministry, and we'll thank you for it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. The title of the message, again, is Ministry is Risky Business. Uh, you say, preacher, how do you get your messages? Well, there's, I have various and sundry different ways of getting messages, of course. Some I steal. <laughs> well, I was going to say I'm just teasing, but some I do actually steal, and uh, a handful. But it takes work in, to birth a ministry or birth a message. Uh, uh, one preacher friend of mine was asked, uh, how long does it take to get a message ready? And he said, it all depends on whether I'm working it up or if it's coming down. And that's how it is with message preparation. Well, this message was birthed in the car on Sunday afternoon two weeks ago as we were heading to Virginia after our afternoon service. And I have to be a little elusive a little bit. Uh, and i got to be careful. I don't let my guard down too much. But I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, ministry is taxing business. Ministry is draining business. Remember when Jesus, the woman, touched Jesus, he perceived that virtue had gone out of him. I uh, don't ask you to feel sorry for me. I only work one day a week after all anyhow. So, so, but uh, some people th think that about pastors. But uh, sometimes I'm really drained and taxed after a long Sunday of serving the Lord. And uh, you gotta, you're drained. You say, Pastor, I'm drained and taxed when I work six days a week at the factory. I understand. So uh, don't, I'm not looking for sympathy. But I'm just telling you, sometimes ministry is draining work. Now, let me tell you some things about ministry. It's a time-consuming business. It's often a dirty, messy business. Ministry is often a misunderstood business. It's often a, a weary business, and you wonder if there's any profit in it. And I don't want to be negative tonight, but I'm going to start off with what sounds like negative. And I'm going to also let you know, at the, uh, give you an admission tonight here. I have a few answers, a few remedies, a few solutions, but not many. Just a statement of fact, an admission, a concession. That is that ministry is risky sometimes even dangerous. Sometimes it sets you back. On numerous occasions, ministry has been discouraging in my life. You say, preacher, I'm really excited about this message right now. How many are excited about this message? <laughs> I didn't think so. We're all, all nervous now. Like, preacher, this is, this is sad. Again, I want to be elusive, and I don't want you to think, uh, you say, I don't want you to think of specific examples. I'll give you a couple here in a minute here. But I wanted to go through the book of Acts especially, and uh, I'm aborting my outline here in one sense, because if we take time to look at all these verses, we're going to be here for a while here tonight. So I'm just going to, just if you'd like to take notes, you the four people like to take notes, let me just give you some references. And I look at ministry risk takers in the Bible just in uh, uh, several minutes, 10 minutes maybe or so, and then we'll move on with the rest of the message. But uh, let me tell you about some risk takers, some ministry. Ministry is, is, is taking a chance. And uh, uh, doing ministry is risky business and it's taking a chance with no earthly guarantees of success. In the short term, it can be profitless and even detrimental. So let me give you for some examples now in the book of Acts alone. Think of Paul or Barnabas here in our text here, and it's the only text that we'll use here in regards to well, maybe not the only text, but uh, we'll start there at least. Barnabas, when all, the Bible says in verse 25, they were all afraid of him. By the way, that means that they were all afraid of him. These were the believers of the Lord. Now, Paul had been saved for several years. 
Paul's not, he's not identified as Paul, yet he's still Saul of Tarsus. He's still Saul the murderer, Saul the, the prisoner of Christians. And he's not trusted. He's not trusted by the brethren at Jerusalem. And uh, he's not trusted by the other brethren at Antioch and so forth, and especially the Jewish brethren who the church is still mostly Jewish. And Paul's a Jew, but they don't trust him. Barnabas takes him in. Paul, I want you to know, or uh, rather Barnabas took a chance on Saul of Tarsus. He took a big chance. And I think it could be said if you follow the scenario, and we can use some, some conjecture here, that, that Barnabas was maligned. Barnabas lost some credibility with people, and Barnabas was alienated because he took a chance on Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he could have tried, turned out to be a, a snake in the, the grass, so to speak. But they didn't know that this is in the time. This is in present time. Paul took a chance on Barnabas. Later on in Acts chapter 13, you can just glance there. In fact, you can turn there if you would, please. Acts 13, verse number 13 it is. It says, now when Paul and his company loosed from Pamphylia, Paul's on his first missionary journey. And I'm going rapid fire here in these next several minutes for the record. Give me a quick cursory history of the book of Acts and the risk takers, the ministry risk takers. Here's another risk. Paul went on a missionary journey and he took a guy named John Mark with him. And when they loosed from Perga, Pamphylia, what we know of today is, what we know of today is Greece, Macedonia, upper, upper Greece, John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. Paul took a chance on John Mark, and John Mark abandoned him in his greatest, need of, uh, greatest hour of need. Sometimes ministry people will abandon you. Uh, sometimes they'll, they'll, uh, uh, people you put your trust in will, will hurt you. Uh, some, some on purpose, some not on purpose, but they'll hurt you. Barnabas, later on in chapter 15, and let me just give you the, read you the point here. Barnabas took a chance on John Mark. Well, let's turn there. Acts 15, just glance at it. Acts 15. We get to verse number 37. Now, some years have gone by. And the Bible, the, Paul's getting ready for a second missionary journey. And he's partnered up with Barnabas. And Barnabas, verse 37 of Acts 15. Barnabas determined to take with them Paul or John, whose surname was, was Mark. I don't think I'm reading into the text. I'm just reading what the text says. And Barnabas determined, determined. I think that showed some determination. He said, we're going to take John Mark with us. Paul says, oh, we are, huh? This is Marty Schott paraphrase. And Barnabas says, yes, we're going to, we need to take him. He's valuable for the ministry. Verse number 38. But Paul thought not good to take him with him, uh, with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Paul said, no, we're not taking John Mark. He can't be trusted. You know what he did back in Pamphylia? Notice verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other. Now, who, who departed from who? Saul departed from Barnabas. Barnabas departed from Saul. And Barnabas is the one that took Saul in when nobody else wanted him. Now, now Paul, who's turned from Saul to Paul, you know the story. He says, Barnabas, no way. And the Bible says, and so, here, look what happened. And the contention is so sharp, verse 39, between them. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And by the way, we never hear of Barnabas again in Scripture. 
He's lost. He took John Mark. He took a risk on John Mark. Paul chose Silas, verse 40, and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Uh, we see, Paul, there was a division. So we see that Barnabas took a chance on John Mark and lost his friend, his super, super convert, if you will, the Apostle Paul, in doing so. Acts chapter 18, just glance there real quickly here. Let me give you another one. Paul took a chance on pleasing the Jews in Acts 18, 18. This is, this is after, we'll come, we'll come back to, this is a, an event that took place after he'd already had some several uh, brush-ups with the Jews, and Christian Jews as well. Not just uh, unsaved Jews, but Christian Jews. In Acts 18, verse 18 it is. Notice that Paul, after, his, after this, tarried yet there yet a good while, and uh, this is on uh, wherever it's at here. I'm, I'm drawing a mental blank here where he's at at the moment, but let's, go up, let's get to the point. He, then he took leave of his brethren and sailed thence unto Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. Paul, the apostle of grace, shore in his head. He was trying to please the Jews. And so he shore in his, he shore his head. He, Paul took a chance on pleasing the Jews and still, he was still misunderstood and maligned as a libertine. We could see many, several other verses that, that, that posture or give the, the, the truth of that, 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 what happened to Paul, that he was, he was maligned, even though he tried to please them by taking a vow. And uh, doing outward conformity. Later on, Paul was commissioned, or before that, Paul was commissioned in Acts 15. We won't turn there for time's sake, though. Instead, I'll just reference Galatians chapter 2. Paul was commissioned by the brethren at the church council in Jerusalem in Acts 15 to go to the Gentiles, and it cost him the alienation of Peter, the great apostle, and even of Barnabas in, Acts, in Galatians 2. Let me read that so you understand what took place. There was division. In Galatians 2, it says these words here. I guess by the time I turn there, you could probably turn there too if you wanted to. But Galatians 2, verse 11, I'm trying to hurry again for the third time. Acts, Galatians 2, verse number 11 it is. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I, that's Paul, withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. There's a division here that's recorded between the Jews, Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. For before that time, before that, certain came from James, that's the church at Jerusalem, and he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, that is Paul and his caravan, a band of missionaries, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled themselves likewise with him, and so there's a division here. Paul, Peter was dissed the Gentiles because he didn't want to be seen with Gentile believers and he went with the Jews. And Paul confronted him about this insomuch the Bible says that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So here it is, Barnabas and, and, and Peter uh, dissed these Gentile believers. Paul's dissed by the Jewish believers. There's a division between them. Later on, and I'll give you several more here just quickly here. Back in Galatians, or Acts 18 again. Let me get back there. 
Peter later went to the Gentiles and was ostracized by the Jews and maligned by the very Gentiles he sought to help. And let me give you just a summary verse without going to the passage. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15, Paul birthed the church at Corinth. He gave himself willingly to the church at Corinth. This is a, a very worldly church. A very, uh, they had a lot of worldliness. That's why we have two books in our New Testament written to the church at Galatians, or Corinth, Corinth. They had so many problems. Paul wrote to them, and he was their spiritual father that birthed that church and that, that, that bled for that church, if you will, and gave himself for that church. And he summarized his relationship with the church at Corinth when he said these words in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. A couple more. I already mentioned that Peter dumped on the Gentiles, believers, and then enforced Paul to dump on Peter. There was a division between two of the greatest apostles that ever lived, Peter and Paul. Now, you say, preacher, is, was it right? No, I'm not saying it's right, but it happened. You see, other ministry risk takers, if we were to take the time, we could go to Acts 18. There's three separate passages, but Acts 18, 26. Aquila and Priscilla, converts of, uh, or disciples of Paul, they took a chance on a guy named Apollos. But Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, and he didn't explain, interpret the word of God properly, but they took a chance on him and they expounded to him the word of God more perfectly, the Bible says. What am I trying to say? And hopefully I can start to make some sense now to all these, these references that I've pointed to. And that I'm trying to say tonight that there's so much misunderstanding in ministry. Ministry, after all, is messy business. Ministry is getting your hands dirty. Ministry, uh, let me give you just four things, four bullet points I have here on my worksheet here. That ministry is messy in the fact that there is, all, there is alienation, division in ministry many times, as with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Now, I have to be careful here, and I, I know we're on tape, and I'm assuming that most people, there's, there are probably about 10 people around America that listen to our messages on, online. Maybe there's 100, maybe there's two. I don't know what it is. Not many. So I'm taking a chance that somebody won't listen to this message. And uh, we had, I'll give you just for an example, and I'm not apologizing, I'm just saying ministry's messy. Uh, I, we had Pastor Paul in the other day, two weeks ago, for example. Uh, I can't even think of his last name right now. He's a Lutheran pastor. This is two Sundays ago. We had a Lutheran pastor in, a sweet man of God. I'm going to say that up front. Uh, I'm going to say that he loves the Lord. I don't, I don't doubt that. I believe he's a believer in Christ. Now, in case you don't know it, Baptists and Lutherans, we have some foundational differences between the two. In fact, we have a number of foundational differences between the two. And um, he was very kind, and he presented the hands of grace and so forth, and you say, preacher, is this message all about the Pastor Paul? No, it's just one for instance. Here I am, an independent fundamentalist Baptist preacher, and after 33 years of ministry, I have my first Lutheran pastor in the pulpit, well, in a devotional setting, call it what you want, for 10 minutes, and he makes a nice overture and talks about maybe our churches can get together and have fellowship together. Folks, I want to embarrass him for the life of me, and I hope that he never hears this. And, but, you know, we're not going to have a lot of fellowship with the Lutheran church. There's reasons why we, we don't, and there's reasons why they don't fellowship with us. Now, we can love the brethren if they're true brethren, 
We can love them, and we should love them. Not only can we love them, but we should love them. But there are meant to be divisions. There are meant to be, we talked in Sunday school this morning about the divisions that God created, that God created at Babel in Genesis chapter 11. We could go there, but we won't for time's sake. But ministry oftentimes creates division. Doctrine creates division, by the way. And sometimes we make, in this ministry call, I, I made, and I'm, this is uh, just one more uh, to buttress the point a little bit and move on. I made a decision, and I don't apologize for that decision per se, but I just want to explain why I made the decision. I thought, why reinvent the wheel? Why start a Hands of Grace or a food ministry, pantry ministry, when somebody already has one going? Why don't we just be a blessing and just not worry about who gets the credit and get the glory? If we're really out just to help people, why don't we just, you know, the wheel's already been invented over at the Lutheran Church. Let's just help them with as much food and uh, uh, supplies as we can and be a blessing to other people. And I hope all God's people said, just, just be a blessing. Did, we, did Marty Schott compromise? Maybe. It's interesting. Paul, going back to the, 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 the division between Paul and Barnabas, Paul was too tough according to Barnabas. What do you mean we're not going to take John Mark again? What about forgiveness? Barnabas said, or Paul said, no way. Barnabas said, give him another chance. Paul, you're too tough. Contrary, conversely, Barnabas, according to Paul, Barnabas, you're too soft. Let me let you know a little secret. Ministry will cost you friendships. This message is not meant to be about me, but I just use me as a, as a sound, as, a, as an illustration. To many people, and I don't say this, don't get nervous. Don't, don't, some of you would get glad, no, I'm teasing, but don't get nervous. Uh, I'm not looking to resign Harvest Baptist Church anytime soon. In fact, I want to stay pastoring as long as I'm able to. And it's getting harder and harder and harder, but I, if I want to think i got 20 more years in me. Oh, man, I can't. Sometimes I think 20 more days is enough, you know, but, but I'm going to keep on trying to go. But there are many people that think I'm too tough. Sometimes I think I'm too tough. Sometimes I've been too tough. And I would dare say over 33-plus years of ministry that there are hundreds of people in our community, hundreds, I don't think that's an exaggeration, then when I come to Harvest Baptist Church, because Marty Shot, Pastor Shot, Reverend Shot, whoever I am to them, is too tough. Then I have a whole score of people, not as many people, but there's a number of people. I don't know if it's, it's in the hundreds, for, but it's certainly in the dozens and scores and scores, maybe more than I want to think. Marty Shot is too soft. Amen. I always feel like I'm too soft and not tough enough. I feel like I'm more like Barnabas. Barnabas was a son of consolation, by the way. Paul, we get our doctrine of grace from. Thank God. But thank God for the, those that we get our sound doctrine, solid doctrine from. Apostle Paul, what would we do without him? But thank God for the Barnabases that take a chance and forgive. And so ministry will cost you friends. I, uh, I have a funny story. Ministry will... Thirdly, we'll, I'm keeping my bullet points here, will you, we'll cost you your reputation. Uh, it's kind of funny, and there would only be one, two, three, four of you in this room that could guess who I'm referring to, and I'll keep it uh, evasive, I'll be evasive on purpose. But uh, there used to be this website, and well, it still is this website out there in, in, uh, on, the, on the web, Fundamentalist Churches, Baptist Churches. 
And there's several of them. There's a number of websites, I'm sure. Well, one of these websites, years ago, we got a three-star rating. Now, three-star rating is the highest rating you can get. You're at the top of the game when you get a three-star rating. Two-star rating is you're okay, but you might have some problems. One-star rating is you got problems, but you claim to be an independent Baptist church. So while we're on this website, and we got a three-star rating. You know, my buddies all across, several pastor buddies in several churches in Connecticut here only got two stars. We were like the only three-star rating in all of Connecticut. There's one other church, I think. It's like, wow, we got a three-star rating. Somehow he heard about how, what a great pastor Barry Shaw was. Then I met the guy that does the website. As soon as I met him, and I was at a meeting with him, and I met the guy that had the website, I went from a three-star to a two-star. So, so I, 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 we lost our credibility. He found out who I really was. Before he ever never met me, I was a good, great guy, but then he met me, and uh, I got downgraded. Ministry will cost you your reputation. Ministry will sometimes, this is hard to process, but the uh, ministry will sometimes bring lifelong division even, even in some cases amongst family members. I'll be very gracious about this. We had men's prayer time yesterday. Folks, we use the the authorized version, I like to call it. We know it as the King James Bible. That's what we use for our pulpit. That's what we use for our Sunday school classes. That's what we use for every... That's what we're, our church is going to use. And as long as I'm the pastor, that's what we're going to use until Jesus comes. Now, now, we use it with grace and, and with hopefully with tact and not with vice and venom and vitriol. Sometimes we can be a little vitriolic in our speech and we can be... Uh, I have a problem with some of these versions, these new versions, just for the record. Shh, don't tell certain people. But I think they're perversions. And I think there's some serious problems with some of the newer versions out there. And I could go on a list and go on a tirade. But I know, here's what I know. I've met a number of dear, sweet Christians that don't know the, maybe the debate, or they think they know the debate, whatever, but they... They fall on the side of um, being a multi-version type person. They love the Lord, in many cases. They're good people. I think it's just a matter of they've never been educated properly or they've been educated in the way that they were educated in, and this is a foreign concept to them. I will say this, by the way, on that issue, just for the record. I find people that have come from other languages have a hard time understanding our King James position, why we use the King James as superior to other English translations of the Bible. We believe God not only inspired his word, but preserved his word. So we're, we're, we're castigated in our ministry because of our position on the word of God and that God not only inspired it, but he preserved it for us. And it's, yes, old, Amer- old Elizabeth in English, but uh, as we were talking yesterday, the word of God, the King James Bible, it has these and thousands in it and has some so-called archaic words that we don't use in the same context anymore. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Some people think, let them have those kids, let those kids have it. No, it just means allow, of course. There's words that need to be defined. It's just a matter of education, but there's misunderstanding on the King James issue. There's misunderstanding, and I've been on the whole time, another whole message. I just give sound bites because there's a hundred of them at least, a thousand of them maybe. Or stand on social drinking. My stand on social drinking. I don't think it's a good idea for Christians ever to take in a drop of liquor, period, ever. Now, there are Christians that don't see that and they don't understand that. That's fine. We have certain requirements in regards to our, la- our workers and so forth. And maybe we should have a covenant. I know some, many good churches that, uh, uh, and I'll say better than this pastor's church, 
that have a covenant that uh, you cannot be a member if you uh, partake of uh, social drinking. We've never had that. Maybe we should, but we don't. And some say, preacher, no, I don't think we should start getting legalistic. We shouldn't. Some say you're too tough. Some say you're too soft. Our Baptist position, there's a reason why we're a Baptist church. I'm not trying to be derogatory, but, but tonight just want to let you know, I don't think this Lutheran church in Connecticut, for New England for that matter, or maybe in America that has a service on a Sunday night. It's quiet, but I'm sorry, I'm just being honest with you. And I'm glad you didn't say amen, by the way, because we're not trying to be derogatory. But there's reasons why we have a Sunday night service, because we feel like we need to have more of the Word of God, not less of the Word of God. We not have opportunity to get the Word of God to, in more venues than just a Sunday morning only service. That's why we have a midweek service. We have our Baptist distinctives. And uh, it's cost me a lot of friends, even cost me some friends in my own, and I had to be elusive on purpose here, but with my own family members and so forth. There's relatives of mine that would never, never come to, if they lived two miles from our church, we'd have a what I call a gentleman's disagreement, they, they could probably never attend Harvest Baptist Church because I'm the pastor. Now, I love them, and I think in most cases, they love me. But there's division. You see, ministry is messy business. Ministry brings division. So let me just fast forward here. We're, we're going to be done here in just not too long. I mean that. That's not preacher talk. That's real talk. <laughs> let me give you, how do we approach ministry? knowing that it's risky business, knowing that it's messy. How do we approach this thing in ministry? You say, and there's some people that say, I don't even want to be involved with ministry because it's just too much work, too much mess. Let me confide one more time. There's been plenty of times in my ministry, the ministry that God has enabled and trusted me with as a pastor of Harvest Baptist Church where I've said to myself, what am I doing? And I've, I've been so mad at myself for mistakes I've made and for things that I've done wrong and for risks I've taken and it ended up in catastrophe. I've done that many, many times. Many, really, probably hundreds of times. Well, how do we approach ministry? First of all, I, have, I just have three things and then I want to give you four things on why we still minister. How do we approach ministry? No, no number one. This is my one of three points here. No going into ministry that there is an earthly risk involved. Knowing you, know that you put yourself on the line. There's an earthly risk involved. And you may get burned. You probably get burned. I've noticed a scenario, and I noticed that the Bible says when Jesus he ministered, and I'm taking from a soundbite in the Gospels, the Bible says, and the, and the common people heard him gladly. I'm not trying to stereotype, but I'm just telling you the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and the, the upper class, the ruling class, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They maligned him, but the common people heard him gladly. It's not meant to be political. I'm just going to tell you why Donald Trump won the election two years ago, because he wasn't the rich man's, he wasn't the elitist, he wasn't the college-educated type of people. I mean, there's people in all those venues that like Donald Trump, and most of them don't. But he was a common man. He told it like it is, or he tells it like it is, even though it's crass sometimes. That's why people like him. And there's a, there's a ministry is getting down where the common people are. And it's, you just understand that ministry involves great risk. You're going to be maligned by very powerful people. You're going to be uh, 
misunderstood. Your name is going to be uh, trashed uh, because of decisions that you make. By the way, I'm so glad in one sense it's really nice to be a small little church tucked up in the hills of northwest Connecticut. People don't know who we are, and that's in one way that's kind of a good thing. If I was a big-name preacher and we were a big-name church, we'd be maligned for a lot of stuff that we would let go by here in, in regards to ministry because ministry is messy business. And you could get, get uh, caught. I'll tell you one quick story. Uh, I got a letter from a, it was on the, uh, I think it was a hard letter, a hard copy of a letter. It was sent to me. There's a certain church in our region here. I'll just say it that way. I've never been there, but it's a good church. They have an annual conference every year that hundreds of people go to. It's a bigger church than our church. I know that much. I could name the pastor's name, but I won't. I have different pastor friends said, they know this guy, go to this annual conference, and he does a great job, and I, I don't know much about him past that, but I get this letter from a, one of his members of his church. I'd never been there. I'd never met the man. I don't know this guy that wrote me a letter, and he proceeded to castigate and blast the unscripturalness of this church in so many ways, and he went down point by point by point after this, this, this Bible-believing church is trying to win souls to Jesus Christ. And uh, he just lambasted them big time and said we need to separate from them. And he called all Christians of real virtue and real value to separate from this apostate church and this apostate pastor. And I thought, as I'm reading this letter down, I says to myself, man, those same ministry things could be said about our church. Could be said about me. Man, I've made some blunders. I haven't always made the right decision. I made bad calls. And it comes back to this truth that our approach to ministry. Ministry, at least from an earthly perspective, is, uh, uh, is very risky business. Number two, how to approach ministry. Approach it knowing that it's risky business. But number two, approach ministry knowing that the servant is not greater than his master. The Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to minister. And they said he's a friend of wine-bibbers. He's a friend of gluttons and wine-bibbers. He's, he's, uh, uh, he's a compromiser. He's running around with those, pardon me, this is, I'm just being the, the slang that was happening with Jesus Christ. They said, uh, they said he was a, it's not a bad word, teenagers or t- young, young people, but they said he was a bastard child. They said he was illegitimate. They said, can anything good thing come out of Nazareth? They made all kinds of pointed accusations towards our Savior. And he only came to seek and to save. He just, his whole life he went about doing good. Tried to help people. But we must remember, the Bible says that he came unto his own, John 1.11. Jesus Christ came unto his own. He was born of all different ethnicities. He was born of the Jewish lineage, or Jewish race. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He could have just came to his own. But as many as received him, <laughs> to them gave you the power to become the sons of God even then that believe on his name. But he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Luke 6, 22, Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. I, look, I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just telling you to use myself for an example because I know myself better than anybody else. I'm telling you right now, there are people that will never come to Harvest Baptist Church because Marty Schott is an evil man. Pastor Schott is, is wicked. He's a compromiser. He's done this, he's done that, he's done another thing. And in some cases, they're right. <laughs> some cases, they could pin on me. They could point to my mistakes. 
or they could point and say, he's done this, he's done that. I'm telling you, there are people that, and then those same people, and I'm not trying, I'm just telling you a fact, and I'm not trying to castigate, then they spread their belief system about me or the ministry, in fact, to the point where other people believe it as well, and, and it causes many people, hundreds of people will not come to Harvest Baptist Church because, because of who the pastor is of this assembly. But if you've got another pastor, hundreds of people will not come eventually for that pastor as well because you've got that pastor because all men are flawed. Remember that. All ministers are flawed. All Sunday school teachers are flawed. All ushers are flawed. All deacons are flawed. We're all sinful people. It's not me and my perfect me. It's me and my real me as we've been preaching for 10 weeks on Sunday morning about our families. There's no perfect families represented here and we know that. Just forgiven families. Number three, Back to the how to approach ministry. Know, number one, that it's taking some serious earthly risk, serious earthly risk is involved. Number two, approach ministry knowing that the servant is not greater than his master. Number three, understand that ministry means making many mistakes by the fact that you are dealing with messy situations. Now, this is going back full circle to, I can't tell you everything, I'm just, I'm just telling you, going back full circle to two weeks ago when this message was birthed in my heart. I was really mad at myself for all the mistakes. I've, I've made some, several mistakes recently in recent weeks. I know you find that hard to believe. I know some of you think I'm perfect. <laughs> but I made, an, I made several mistakes, and here's how I beat myself up. I say to myself, you, can I, I'm talking to myself. You idiot! How could you make that mistake again for the umpteenth time? You're a moron. Pardon me, I'm talking to myself. I mean, I get so mad at myself for all them. I've been there, done that. And here I do it again. It's like you'd think I'd learn after 33 years of pastoring the same church that I'd, I'd learn not to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, but I'd keep making them. Oh, it's frustrating. Now, let me just be fun with you for just a minute here. You learn from your mistakes, right? <laughs> or do you? We make our mistakes over and over again. As long as we're on earth, we're going to continue to make mistakes. Mark it down. By the way, ministry requires something else. There's a sidebar to this addendum point. Ministry requires money. Lots of it. it. Requires sacrifice. Paul did say in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, the more I spend, huh, he's talking, I'm sure, symbolically speaking about spending his life and but he also, he, he didn't take from the Corinthians, remember, wages because he, he worked, he was a tent maker. Paul was a tent maker. By the way, I think every preacher should not be afraid to work if they need to work to sustain the ministry. I don't think that's anything to be, to, Jesus worked as a carpenter for 18 years. Paul was a tent maker along with Quilla and Priscilla, that's the amenimus, and he was making tents. If the greatest apostle in, in the Bible could work for uh, manual wages for Earthly wages, are we any better than they? And so understand that many mistakes are going to be made in ministry because it's a messy situation. So let me give you, the, here's the conclusion of the message. I said I don't have many answers. I don't have many, many remedies, many solutions. Just a fact, just an admission, just a concession. I'm telling you, ministry is risky business. Ministry is dirty work sometimes. Ministry is tough. 
So you say, preacher, thank you for this encouraging message tonight. I'm really just thrilled. To, I can't wait to go out and minister now. <laughs> you ask yourself the question, so why minister? I have one, two, three, four. Four and we're done. Number one, God has called us to it. That alone, if there's no other reason, that alone is reason to keep, keep on ministering. In fact, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to see these verses. The ministry that Marty Schott has, Pastor Schott has, whoever I am to you, the ministry that you have if you're a servant of God, the ministry of this church has, it's not our ministry, it's not my ministry, it's not what I want to do per se, it's his ministry. He's the one that saved us, he's the one that committed to us this ministry. This is not an option. This is not, uh, hey, I don't want to, and I've had pastor friends, multiple pastor friends now, that I've gotten out of ministry because it's just, that's enough. Too much. Too much heartache, too much mess up, too much, too much risk, too much expenditure, expenditures. It's just too much, I'm out of here. I know pastors that are driving truck today. I know pastors that, are, that uh, went to the construction world. I know pastors that are selling cars today. I could go on and on and tell you different things that pastor friends of mine are not doing because they got out of the ministry because ministry was just too much risk. So why do we minister? Because God called us to it, that's why. Whether we see fruits or whether we don't see fruits. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, verse 14, just touch it, for the love of Christ constraineth us. We're constrained by the love of Christ. We're locked up by his call. We're we're, we're, we're constrained by his love. It goes on to say, verse number 17, we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. We've got a new calling, a new ministry. In verse number 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and hath committed to us, here it is, the ministry of reconciliation. God's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation to wit or to understand that God was in Christ in reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their own trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are, verse, verse 20, just read it together. You have it open there, let's read it together. Ready, here we go, ready? Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. God's called us to this ministry of reconciliation. We've got to keep on keeping on. This morning I preached a message on why that I want to serve God or I'd rather die. If I quit serving God, if I get out of church, I'd rather die than have that happen. If I quit serving God, he put me on to, he saved me to serve. He saved you to serve. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, Ephesians 2.10. So why minister? Number one, God has called us to it. It's God's calling. It's the ministry that he's called us to, this ministry of reconciling the world to Christ. Number two, why do we minister? It's worth, number two, it's worth all the sacrifice. You see, you, you never know on this side of glory how important your ministry is, how important the ministry of Harvest Baptist Church is. God's ordained one institution, hear me clearly, to win the world to Jesus Christ in this New Testament era, and it's the local New Testament church. And he needs no second institution. He has a plan A, and he needs no plan B. 
God has a plan to raise children. It's one woman with one man for a lifetime. It's called marriage. It's called holy matrimony. And you can't improve on God's plan. God's, God's plan is always the best plan. God's called the local New Testament church. As flawed as we are, as flawed as this assembly is because it has a flawed, flawed shepherd, God's called us to, to uh, and we'll never know how much of a blessing we are to hundreds and I believe thousands of people, and we'll never know. We prayed for a missionary this morning. We have some 21 missionaries, about 16 or so around the globe, all around the world, some on deputation. But they're there, Rick and Sue Simonson are in Kenya, East Africa tonight, because we're here holding the, holding the ropes. We have uh, missionary uh, Alan Hart in Madagascar because we're holding the ropes. We have Lee Johnson in Peru because we're, and, because we're holding the ro- ropes. And on and on we could go with our missionaries all around the world. They're there because Harvest Baptist Church is doing their little part faithfully every month to keep them there. We're important whether you know it or not. There's people in Torrington and around this, our surrounding Jerusalem that we have no idea that, are, that they identify with Harvest Baptist Church. I ran into somebody I'll keep unnamed a couple of weeks ago. It's Pastor Shot, how you doing? I, I saw him, I froze like during the headlights. I said, I know him, I know him. Where do I know him from? And um, I couldn't get his name out. And he says, and he mentioned his name. I'll say his name is John. His name was not John. He says, John. Ah, nice to meet you, John. I'm saying in my mind, John who? And, uh, and he started to identify a little bit further, and I was realizing, and then finally the light bulb started to flicker on. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember he came to church four times, I think. Where is church? It hasn't come in seven years, ten years, but where is church? If things go wrong in John's life, that's not his name. I think I know where he's going to call when he, needs, when he has a problem. He'll call us. Because we're his church. Strange as that may sound. It's happened hundreds of times, I promise you. Well, number one, why minister? Number one, because God's called us. Number two, because it's, it's worth it. And hundreds of people, we don't know it. We can't see it. It's invisible. But number three, here's a great reason to minister. Jesus, why we should take a chance in ministry? Because Jesus took a chance on us. He took a chance on us. Now, I don't want to get too deeply theological, but I'm wrapping things up here. I'm almost done. I'm going to read a letter here in just a minute. But we get deep, deeply theological for a moment here. On the cross of Calvary, when Jesus shed his blood, I believe he shed his blood for the sins of all mankind. It was an, what we call an unlimited atonement. Some believe that Jesus died only for the elect. Now, he did die for the elect. He's the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Some think it's a disgrace that Jesus would shed his blood inappropriately for folks that were not, uh, not elect, but Jesus died for, I believe, the sins of the whole world. And he took a chance on me, putting me in the ministry, knowing that I'd make all the mistakes that I've made in the hundreds now and probably into the thousands. He took a chance on you, saving you and cleaning you up and making you a new creature in Christ Jesus. He took a chance on you. You think of how many times you failed the Lord. Anybody here failed the Lord like Peter and went out and wept bitterly? Been there a thousand times. But he still loves us. Still our Savior. Jesus Christ saved him yesterday, today, and forever. Why, why minister? God has called us to it. 
It's worth the sacrifice. Jesus took a chance on us. Fourthly and lastly, our reward is sometimes now. This is a great letter, to me at least. But much more so later. You see, St. Corinthians 4.16 says, For we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How can we keep going on in this ministry when it's such risky business? When there's so much messiness involved, when there's so much just failure and misunderstanding and heartbreak and heartache and so forth and expenditure and all the rest that comes along with ministry and no human and being misunderstood so greatly. The Bible says this in St. Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Why do we keep on ministering? God's called us to it. It's worth the sacrifice. Jesus took a chance on us, and the reward is not many times here. It's later, and it's a far eternal way to have a far more eternal weight of glory. And so the punchline of the message tonight is, as I was writing that message, it was fast, Sonny was driving the car, in case you're wondering, and... Uh, and so I said, hey, i got to write a message on it. I'm scribbling on my piece of paper. And I wrote down, keep on keeping on. It's still worth it. And it will be worth it all. We sang it this morning when we see Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that you might help us to keep on keeping on in the ministry you've called us to. It's your ministry you've called us to. Lord, you've, you've took a chance on us. Lord, uh, our reward is not here on earth. Many times it's in heaven to come. It's worth the sacrifice because there are millions of Bruce Kachucks out there that need to be ministered to. And Lord, uh, although they're, Lord Jesus has healed 10 lepers and one came to say thank you, it's still worth it all. Help us to be about your business, we pray. Bless, we pray. Maybe, Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to just surrender again to ministry. Personal ministry in their family, personal ministry with their friends at work, personal ministry, maybe in the house of public ministry, in the house of God, whatever it be, Lord, speak to hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. As we stand, let's sing the same song we sang this morning. Let's sing both verses.